What? Yeah, the problem with wearing hats is like it ruins my hairstyle, you know? <laughs> Takes me about three hours to get my hair like this every morning. Hey, if you guys haven't had coffee, well, probably hot coffee today doesn't sound all that, does it? Yeah, coffee's good anytime, I agree. Good morning, saints. Okay, now you're going to have to talk back to me, especially today, all right? Because if you think you're tired, so am I. Everybody go, one. Nah, that's good. That's good enough. Enough of that. All right. I had a couple of announcements I wanted to add. Uh, one, if you've noticed the bulletin, the leadership lists have changed. The reason that is, is all the names that are in there are currently active voting participating members. Other people have had to go off to fulfill righteousness, if you know what I mean. In other words, to be inclined. Let me fix my teeth. To be in compliance with the law, uh, people go on and off board. So the ones that are listed there are just the ones that are on presently. All right? Others are still serviceable type people, right, Gary? They are, but they're, they're not listed. All right? So you can talk to any of those people uh, if you have issues that relate to their um, area of ministry. And uh, by the way, speaking of leaders, we were... Kicking around, we, this, uh, two weeks ago we had our last MLT, formal last MLT meeting. Uh, I'll be communicating into the future our uh, structure and a church council where adequate representation from the whole congregation will be at work and it should work well. But one of the things that was commented, I, I won't mention any names, Larry, but um, I miss potlucks. Now, we're Baptists, of course. So I think in the fall, uh, when we formally install all of our leaders, lay and elders and what have you, uh, we ought to have a potluck dinner. What do you think? Amen. Yes. And all the Baptists said. Amen. And anyone else, say amen anyway. All right. All right. So what about those songs that we sang this morning? Amen. Wonderful, grace-oriented instruction. Um, I mentioned, uh, it has been mentioned, if you have questions from the Daily Bible, please shoot them to Hawkman2 at AOL.com. Please. Otherwise, I'm going to get up here a few Sundays out and say, you didn't send in any questions. Let me pray. We're all going home. Huh? I'll have to wear the hat to get any kind of reaction. All right. Uh, there was one other thing I wanted to say. In that. Oh, um, yeah, it has to do with... The daily Bible questions, something. Oh, I hate when that happens. I can't remember now. Okay. If it comes to me, oh, questions about spiritual gifts. Because today we're going to take one last look at this grace series, Grace Illustrated. And uh, I'm not going any further on spiritual gifts, but I know that that series provokes some questions. I know because people have mentioned them. So write them and send them in. That's all part of the Bible, by the way. Everybody, everybody get that? It's all part of the Bible. Yes, Pastor John. All right. What was up there? Yes. Is that a meme? Meme? Is that a meme? Or whatever they call those things? All right. All right. 
Today we're going to talk about one last look at grace, okay? Now that's ridiculous. How can you ever stop looking at grace? The Bible's full of grace. The life of Jesus is all about grace. I'm a little ahead in my daily Bible, and so I'm in the life of Christ right now and, uh, and impacted over and over again with the grace that flows out of him. So one last look, and, and what I'd like to do this morning is uh, use this opening passage from 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. Does that ring a bell for anybody? People getting married, <clears throat> people getting married uh, <clears throat> sometimes use this passage of scripture because it's so, f- and it's so familiar, we actually read it and it like goes, whoosh, right? 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. Everybody know that? But we need to define what we're talking about when we say the love chapter. You know, we had the love revolution back at Woodstock and all of that. And that's not the same thing, okay? And so we need to be clear about that. But one other comment I need to make is that that chapter is tucked between... This is, this is profound. Chapter 13 is between chapter 12 and chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians. <laughs> If you didn't get anything out of today, take that home, write it down. And why did I say that? Because 12 and 14 are a big section on spiritual gifts and how to use them correctly. How to use them in the context of what this passage is talking about, which is agape love. We'll define that in a minute. Page 1150 in the black Bible in your seat, if you want to make sure I'm not making any of this up, because I don't do that. I try to stay faithful to the truth. And if I hit on an opinion, I usually let you know. One last look. 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. They will be on the screen uh, in case you have any trouble finding it. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy... And know all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have, the f- have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Now remember, be, oh, back that one up, Ryan, thank you. These words, prophecy, tongues, those were those remarkable gifts that we talked about last time, where the kingdom of heaven, the powers of the age to come, invade our experience here to get people's attention. So they're not just, you know, it's not something you learn. You don't get it out of a book. It's something that is communicated by the Spirit. And the gift of prophecy was what was necessary, especially before we had the authoritative Word of God written down. Local assemblies got doctrine from prophetic words and words of knowledge, things like that. And so if you have one of those profound gifts of prophecy, and there is still a residual gift of prophecy that works today, And know all mysteries and all knowledge, even if I have that, if I have faith to move mountains, because Jesus, I just read it, he said to his disciples, how come you have so little faith? If you have enough faith the size of a mustard seed and say to this mountain, move, it'll move. Anybody read that ever? Anybody ever have trouble with stuff like that? Tell the truth. Yes, I have trouble with it. I have a lot of mountains I wanted moved. I wanted Pike's Peak over in my backyard. Didn't go. Have you experienced that sometimes it's like that mountain just ain't moving? So it makes it sound so simple. But even if you have that kind of faith where in in an assembly you've seen this person pray and claim things for God and it happens. 
I think the first time, whoever has the gift of faith in this assembly, there's somebody here. There is somebody here who's got the gift of faith. I'm telling you. Huh? There's one at least. I, there may be five. If there are, we need to get them all moving. But whoever that was, you know how I know that? When I first got here, and um, Larry remembers this, we were praying for my house to sell. It's like, and it's sold. I mean, it, we made it a public request, and bam, it was gone. The MLT went, what? Because it was like, God actually answered that. Somebody exercised faith and made me stay here. So it's all good. And I'm glad they did. Just want to make that clear. I am nothing if I don't have love. Next verse. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I deliver my body to be burned, by the way, that's a little questionable. We don't know in the original language whether it means literally to be burned. We know that Christians were burned at the stake, but that came 10 years later from this writing in the course of Nero being emperor. So we're not really sure. There are two to three different variant words stuck in there in the original text. That's high techno technological type language stuff, things, Bible study, Greek and all, okay? One word means to boast. If I give my body to boast, in other words, see how self-sacrificing I am. I'm so amazing, right? It could mean that, or it could mean literally to be burned. But I do not have love. Even if I'm doing these profound things, it profits me nothing. So there's some kind of high premium on this thing called love. Can anybody say amen? You wonder why churches have lost the hearing of the world around us. It's because that issue disappears. And they wonder, what is this all about? And we'll look at what Jesus said about that. Usually it's a wedding text. But now I want to use it today for grace illustrated one last look because Jesus said this is the goal of the disciples that they be marked by this quality called love. If you have an old, test, uh, an old version, uh, King James, for example, anybody remember what the word is? Who remembers what the word is? Charity. Charity. A little bit insipid, a little weak. Because we think of charity as, you know, you're going out the line at the queue at the store. And they, would you like to give a dollar today? Blah, blah. Not really, but okay, I will because I feel guilty. But anyway, we think of that as charity, right? But this is different. It's beyond that. That's part of it. So bear with me for a minute. Can you bear with me while I preach the gospel? Are you okay with that? This is a Bible teaching church. We preach the gospel here. Um, so if you have never heard it, you're going to hear it. Okay. I'm going to preach the gospel, which is the gospel of God's love and grace. Let's remind ourselves what grace is about. Here's the definition from Millard Erickson, who wrote um, a theology text about that thick called Christian Doctrine or something like that. You have it. What's the name of it? You remember? Christian Doctrine. See how tricky that is? Grace is this. God deals with his people not on the basis of their merit or worthiness, what they deserve, but simply according to their need. In other words, he deals with them on the basis of his goodness and generosity. God is gracious to us, not because we earn it. If we had to earn it, we'd be doomed. But because of his grace and mercy, his goodness 
and generosity. That's the definition of grace. If you're a note taker, I have three categories today. Global grace. The next one is savings grace. And the third one I'm not telling you. No, it's transforming grace. If you want to fill in the blanks, and we're going to look at some scripture very quickly just to nail down what is being communicated in the good news of Jesus. Global grace. God, we spent some time on one of my messages. I didn't want to review everything because the sermon would take way too long and it's hot and everybody wants to go home to their air conditioning and take a nap and something maybe. You're good so far? Thank you. But Global grace, God's mercy to all of mankind, showed in sending us rain and fruitful seasons. Think about all the goodness that we enjoy. Why do we not want to check out from life usually? It's because life is worth living. It's fun. There are things about life. We have hope. We have expectation of a better future. And uh, it's because of the mercy of God, his kindness to all human beings, even though they have ignored him as a whole. They have turned their back on his truth. Uh, Even though the truth has been revealed, even in the cosmos, even in what exists physically, man has in his unrighteousness, in his bent toward going away from God, suppressed that truth. That's Romans chapter 1, if you've never read it. Nevertheless, God shows kindness. Think about it. Uh, In the Old Testament, God looked at the earth. People were being pretty nasty in the days of Noah. Anybody remember that? says all he saw was man's heart was continually bent on evil. Anybody remember? What happened? They, yeah. That's what we deserve. Do you understand? It's God's grace that he withholds judgment. It's goodness and mercy. For God, let's put this verse up. You might recognize this. God so loved the Right? Memory verse. Everybody has this memorized, right? You should have it memorized in at least 15 different translations. No, I'm kidding. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loved his agape love. By the way, the Greek word there is agape. If you're not aware of it, there are three words in Greek, three words for love. All right? Did you know that? Three different words. One is, I'll take the easy one, phileo. Does that sound like anything? Philadelphia? Yeah. The city of brotherly love. Phileo is tender affection, brotherly, familial type of love. You know, I care about my relatives. I care about my close friends. It's a phileo love. And it's normal for human beings to experience it. That's not the word that the New Testament claimed to speak about the love of God. Phileo, not strong enough. There's another word for love. This one you'll figure out too, eros. Anybody, does that sound like, what does it sound like? Erotic, right? It's erotic love. It is the sexual attraction that is normal in the human race, all right? Erotic love. That's another word that is used. But the word that was chosen, and and we named churches after it, agape fellowship, agape church, love, agape, which is translated charity in the King James because it has to do with that kind of affection, yes, 
but goodwill, benevolence, seeking the other person's benefit and highest good. In fact, that's probably one of the easiest ways to remember it. When I choose to seek your highest good. See, I love my children, not just with phileo. If I really agape love my children, I seek their highest good, which is why I say, you do that again and I will pound you into the pavement. You like that, don't you? Yeah, some people like that. Others say, what a terrible father he must have been. Yes, well, you can come in and review my kids anytime. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that you might have the gift of eternal life. Why? Because left to ourselves, we don't deserve it. God's love is outreaching to the entire world, and we have this wonderful gift given to us that if we really love, if we really become loving the way God is, we are going to want to share that because it's life eternal. I, I know I was, I was a little further south yesterday, and uh, it was 98. I guess you were 96 here. It's really hot. And I said to somebody, you know, I spend my time trying to talk people out of going to a place that's like this. Anybody get the, the little humor in that? It's like very little. You're like, yeah, it's really, really funny, Pastor John. Anyway, and it's not funny, and because... There is an eternity. People are going to walk through death's door, every one of us. It matters to us, should, to want to invite them in to the love of God, the agape love of God. Global grace. Grace and love were obviously modeled by the person of Jesus himself. So that brings me to the next thing, and that is saving grace. Saving grace. Let me show you a passage of scripture. God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, it, let's do a little math on this, okay? Think about it. While we were sinners, well, oh, yeah, yeah, I know I'm a sinner. Yeah, well, you know, I'm only, I love the line, I'm only human. Your problem isn't being human. God made humanity as a good thing. Sin is what has messed it up. It's the brokenness of sin that inclines us toward the opposite direction of where God wants to call us, left to ourselves. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from what? We don't like that. Wrath. We shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, what do I have to do to be an enemy of God? Nothing. You're already there left to yourself, apart from the grace. See, this is hard doctrine, I'm just telling you, but it is what the Bible and Jesus tried to communicate to the world. Save from the wrath of God through him. It was in one of our songs this morning. Anybody notice? Anybody? Hello? Anybody here? Anybody notice? It was in one of our songs, right? God rescued me from wrath. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Great statement. Pardon me while I um, editorialize for just a couple of moments. I've, recogni I've recognized, I've recommended this book before, The Cross of Christ by John Stott, one of the best commentators of the last century. And he's still alive, by the way. 
John R. W. Stott, Church of uh, England, great exegete. And uh, this is an excellent text called The Cross of Christ. I want to read just a couple of things about that to help kind of set the dial for us so that we have a clear understanding of where we're at left to ourselves, where God is at because he's holy as well as loving. In fact, some of the great theologians said probably the simplest descriptor of God is that he is holy love. Holy love. He cannot bend the rules because he loves us. He's holy. But he loves us so much that he'll fulfill what is broken about the rules. Does that make sense? We're going to unpack that and just say, and no, Dave, you cannot have this book. You can borrow it, though. In Dale's words, this is a couple of readings from his text, it is partly because sin does not provoke our own wrath that we do not believe that sin provokes the wrath of God. Can I repeat that? It is partly because sin does not provoke our own wrath that we do not believe that sin provokes the wrath of God. I think it's an indicator of maturity as a Christian when you recognize you have some really bad stuff in your life and all of a sudden you just break down and recognize, I'm ashamed of that. My wife and I were interacting. We have, we have some connections, let me put it that way, in Christ, in the family of God, who do not recognize the destructive, intense power of the control that has been passed on from generation to generation, have to control everything that goes on. Let me tell you something. For those on the receiving end of that control, it ain't fun. And it creates tons of resentment. But they think they're all good Christians, just doing well, controlling everything, demanding, insisting. It's going to be this way. It's going to be that way. You're going to do this. Instead of letting people mature and grow and make their own decisions and do what's right. You know, think of the implications for children, right? Think of the implications in family dynamics. People wonder why the relatives don't want to come over for a barbecue. You see, we're broken and we're sinful. And when the Spirit reveals that, it should make us angry with ourselves. Oh, I can't believe I'm still being like that. When was the last time you had that reaction? That's why we don't believe it provokes the wrath of God. In consequence, we may be sure that when God searched in his mercy for some way to forgive us, to cleanse and accept evildoers. It was not along the road of moral compromise. Where the idea, Bruner put it, a theologian, where the idea of the wrath of God is ignored, there will also be no understanding of the central conception of the gospel, the uniqueness of the revelation in the mediator. Somebody had to get in the middle of this and pay the consequence for our wickedness. Somebody had to do that for us. And his name is Jesus, by the way. 
So then, the cross of Christ is the event in which God makes known his holiness and his love simultaneously in one event in an absolute manner. G.C. Burkauer wrote this, In the cross of Christ, God's justice and love are simultaneously revealed. Do you understand what I'm talking about? The tension of the fact that God loves us, but he cannot let us off the hook. So I either come by the payment that his son made for me, or I bear it myself. In the cross of Christ, God's justice and love are simultaneously revealed, while Calvin, echoing Augustine, have you ever heard of him? St. Augustine, whichever way you want to pronounce it, don't match, the same guy. St. Augustine said this, even bolder, listen to this. He wrote of God that in a marvelous and divine way, he loved us even when he hated us. What? Well, that's not what I think. Fine, make them up the way you want them. I'm going to read one more comment because this is critical mass and I fear for the church in America that we will slide away from orthodoxy because we're remaking God in our own image, which is kind of a scary thing to do when you think about it. It is the recognition of this divine necessity, this issue of the wrath of God had to be appeased. Not because, I said this last time, didn't I, that wrath is not having a hissy fit. It's not, not God going, yeah, I'm so mad. You bratty little kids, I'm going to fix you. That's not what it is. Wrath of God is his settled disposition against sin. He can never change his mind. Sin is always death. Sin is always to be judged. So I can let Jesus do it for me. It is the recognition of this divine necessity or the failure to recognize it, wrote James Denny, which ultimately divides interpreters of Christianity into evangelical and non-evangelical. What he means is right and wrong, orthodox or liberal, apostate, falling away. It is that which separates from evangelical and non-evangelical. Those who are true to the New Testament, and I love this last line, those who cannot digest it. I'd rather know the true God, wouldn't you? I would rather know him rightly and have hope and expectation for my future because of what God has done on my behalf. Have you settled that issue that Christ paid for your sins? God so loved the world. God so loved you that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting. If you haven't settled it, I'd hate to have you listen to my words today and leave this place and this life without having settled knowing Christ's forgiveness. That's what the gospel's about. I told you I was going to preach the gospel, so I just did. The gospel means good news. Is it good news? Yes, it is. I know me. I can't fix me all by myself. I know me. I've been, I've been working on this sucker for 45 years. You hear me? I know what I was when he rescued me. I know what I still am as he's still rescuing me. And those of you who say, well, thank God I was rescued 45 years ago. It's time for a session with Pastor John. Anyway, God demonstrates his love. Even when we were enemies, Christ died for us. Now, listen, Jesus modeled the love of God, didn't he? How clearer can it be than self 
sacrificing love. He interposes his own life on your behalf. Is that not clear? Gordon Fee, who's one of the best commentators on Corinthians, by the way, great combination, brilliant scholarship and comes from a charismatic background. Brilliant, brilliant analysis of the text. For Paul, agape, remember the Christians swiped the term agape, charity, and made it this Christian virtue. Christianity is the one who laid hold of agape, the Greek word. For Paul, it is a word whose primary definition is found in God's activity in behalf of his enemies. That's why Jesus said things, crazy things like, love your enemies? I mean, is that possible? Did you know in the, um, in the days under communism that Christians were severely persecuted? Of course, they still are in other places in the world. And some of the greatest stories, if you've never read Tortured for Christ with uh, Richard Wormbrand, a Lutheran clergyman who was put in prison and tortured and everything else, read the stories of the saints empowered by the Spirit to forgive their enemies while they were being tortured. That's coming from somewhere else, friends. So Gordon Fee goes on. This is what Jesus did. God's activity on behalf of his enemies, which was visibly manifested in the life and death of Christ. To have love, to have love, quote, love, agape, therefore, means to be toward others the way God in Christ has been toward us. Don't you hate it when preachers meddle? I mean, here we're ready to go on vacation. He's telling me I got to love my enemies and stuff. What a pain in the neck. This is found at the heart of every section of ethical instruction and other exhortations are simply an explication of it. To walk in the spirit means to manifest having love for one another. What is love? Oh, I feel warm and gooey. Alex, I just feel so warm and gooey when I see you. I do. I love you so much. And I do, I do love her, by the way. But agape love, and I do. But agape, I know you do. Agape love goes further than that, though. It seeks her highest good. Which might mean, if she's doing something harmful to her spirit, I will exhort her because I love her. I will challenge that. Last thing, transforming get grace. This is going to take two minutes at least. Something got in my throat on the way here this morning. I started hacking, you know. Glad. I am going to give up smoking, though, I promise, tomorrow. <laughs> this week. Anyway, let me show you what Jesus said. Uh-oh, wait, wait, we went way, whoo, back it up. Something happened wrong here. Back, 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 back. That's the one. A new commandment I give to you. Thank you, Ryan. He's my hero. That you love one another. Guess what word it is? It's not phileo, it's definitely not eros. It's agape. Even as I have agaped you, I have loved you, I've been self-sacrificing in my love for you, I have challenged you, I have sought your highest good, that you also love one another. By this, this is the mark, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Wow, that's a tall order, isn't it? My mind goes to so many different places. 
I was, um, well, let me, let me do this. When I was, I, I, whenever I speak about eros, phileo, and agape, we love to use the word love, love making in our culture, which is hyper over damaged, destroyed in the sexual area. You know, I think about people who profess faith in Christ. They, fit, they profess that they're a follower of Jesus, and so they're, they're dating somebody. And, uh, you know, what happens when you're dating, right? Everybody knows. Uh, now everybody, I just lost the whole congregation because <laughs> you're all off where you shouldn't be. No, you actually, you should be. And, uh, you know, if, if you really love me, you, you want to m- make me feel good and make me feel loved and accepted, right? And, and, um, and I have challenged over and over again, agape love seeks that brother or sister's highest good. What is the highest good? The highest good is that their soul is not soiled and damaged. That's the highest good. Otherwise, it's eros. Might be a little phileo thrown in there, but don't hand me that it's agape love because that's a lie. In fact, the scripture even says that. All the young men, treat the women in your congregation as sisters. Sisters. Do you ever see uh, Back to the Future? Oh, I feel like I was kissing my brother. Yeah! If they're sisters, we have their highest good at heart. And by the way, can I just say that goes both directions? It goes both directions. It's up to you to follow the standard of Jesus, which is agape, can't, can't police you and follow you everywhere. It's up to you whether you're going to honor him or not, whether you're going to be like him or not. I was driving up, uh, I think I was getting close to or across the mighty Susquehanna down in Harrisburg. Have you ever seen the Susquehanna down in Harrisburg? It's huge. It's like a mile and a half across. And I used to live up near where the headwaters are, which was like a little trickle you can jump across, you know. And then you get down there, it's like, can't be the same river. But it is. And what I just said about it has nothing to do with my point. Here's the point. I was driving along, coming across the river, and here was this, what's a big sign called? Billboard. It had a precious girl's face, and it said, she's somebody's daughter. Stop sex trafficking. I just started sobbing. Because we're not consumed with agape love in this culture. All we know is greed and selfishness. And that's where it's motivated. Prostitution and sex trafficking. That's what it was talking about. And it's an issue today in America, enlightened America. I wish I had found the, uh, an article. I, I, I have it somewhere um, where uh, a character out in, um, in uh, Nevada is having a a morally upset hissy fit because they're trying to outlaw prostitution. How dare them? Isn't he a morally upright individual? (laughs) Uh, Never mind. You get the idea. What I'm getting at is, are we seeking our neighbors, our brothers and sisters, even those who might be our enemies, their highest good? Their highest good is to walk in victory and purity and to know the God who loves them and has rescued them. So the same thing applies when it comes to agape, 
loving and seeking another person's highest good. This is why in 1 Corinthians 13, the end of chapter 12, for example, and chapter 14 is all about the body functioning together in agape, in seeking your highest good. So if I have a spectacular gift, showing it off is useless. If I do that without agape, without love, I'm empty. That's what he's saying. That's what 1 Corinthians 13 is all about. So that's why it says this at the end in chapter 14. What's the outcome? All of this stuff he went on for three chapters about. What is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, each one has a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. I know everybody's wondering, how would you explain that tongue and interpretation thing? You got to come back. Send in the question, I'll answer it. But when the body got together, everybody was exercising their gift under what influence? The agape love of God, which means what? Let all things be done for edification. That's house building, for building up. I, you know, I, I had a guy on staff years ago. It was the first time I ever heard a man speak like this. Um, I need to edify Pastor John for just a minute. And what he was saying was he was speaking to the rest of the staff and he was encouraging them to take into their heart something I had said and modeled. He was edifying me. He was building me up. That's what it means. We should work at building one another up. Remember last week I said, I'm going to call it out of you, calling you up. We should be doing that to each other. We should be calling each other up. I love that on very healthy assemblies, very healthy church staffs, uh, a brother will go to another brother or sister to another sister or even across gender line and say, you know, I observe this and I think you can do better than that. And they don't respond with, who do you think you are, you nosy? But rather, I want to thank you that you love me enough to come and challenge me with that. Because you know what? Now that I think about it, you're right. I can do better. That wasn't so good. The outcome is that all things are done for edification. It's not about, hey, everybody, look at, look at, look at, look at, look at. And we should think about that. Even sometimes when we give praise to God, it's not always pure. And, and I mean, who is totally pure? I'm the only one I know, but uh, that's, that was a fib. <laughs> None of us are. All of us have uh, corruption in our motives somewhere. But basically, am I seeking his honor, his glory? Am I seeking to edify and build up my brothers and sisters in Christ so that they're more like Jesus, more filled with agape type of love? Let me show you one more text here out of uh, the Corinthian chapter 13 portion. We read this at the beginning. If I give all my possessions to feed the poor, if I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Can you imagine? Could you actually give yourself sacrificially and not be motivated by agape love? Yeah. Yeah, you could. Think about people who uh, either end their life or uh, do so as a protest and sometimes they're missing. It's more of a, a grandstand. Could it happen? 
Let me share something with you, though. Clement of Rome, a writer in 96, 96 AD. So this is early. This is early. Listen to this. We know of many among us who have delivered themselves to bondage in order to ransom others. Did you catch that? By the way, it happened even since the early days of the church. The Moravians, some of them did the same thing, went and lived with the slaves in the West Indies in order to win them for Christ. We know of many among us who have delivered themselves to bondage in order to ransom others. Many have sold themselves into slavery and used the price paid for themselves to feed others. They took it literally. And actually, it could be that he means literally that could happen. But if it's not motivated by the agape love of God, he's saying, don't waste your time. There was an article that came out, and I don't know if any of you read it. It was in France, so sometimes when things happen in France, we don't pay attention. There's an article out of World Magazine. It actually came out in uh, National Review, a short one, and then this larger one. I thought this would be more edifying. But this in the world of um, ISIS and radical Islam and all of the nasty stuff that's connected with that. Uh, the article title here is uh, by Mindy Belts called What the World Needs Now. French Policeman Gives a Lesson in Self-Sacrificing Love. Did anybody hear this story? You would have noticed probably. A brother named uh, Beltram says, No matter how many times we may hear of it, the interposing of, um, of police officers rescuing and uh, putting their lives in danger. Such breathtaking courage should at least quiet our silly squabbles and rude complaining. In the light of what's going on in the world, really, really, I remind myself of that a lot. Oh, this is terrible. You know, my, my air conditioner is out. And that's pretty bad. <laughs> oh, no. Beltram, who was 44 and recently married, on that day wasn't relying on training, making a commitment to the Catholic Church at 33. Listen, in Europe, which is completely secular, if he made a commitment, he's probably a true believer. Make no mistake. He was known by family, friends, and associates as a man of faith. One of the striking features of the story about him in the aftermath of an attack, it was an ISIS attack, among those who knew him, no one was surprised. He lived a genuine conversion, said the priest of the abbey. He regularly attended and served with his wife, Mariel. He had just recently gotten married. So this radical named Radwan Lakdim, uh, went into a store, killed some shoppers and a few other people. As gunfire rang out from the store, some shoppers escaped. Some locked themselves in a meat locker. As Latkim took hostage, a 40-year-old 40, 40 cashier named Julie. Beltram approached Latkim as he held Julie, the mother of a two-year-old, and asked to take her place. 
He kept his mobile phone on to allow police an ear of what was happening. We now know that after freeing Julie, thank God, and he took Beltram, at some point he slit his throat. Trademark ISIS tactic. Police killed Latkim amid gunfire to the subsequent assault, but Julie and many others were saved. Beltram, who died of his wounds, was far from silenced. He did not hide his faith. He radiated it, said police chaplain and Catholic priest Dominique Ars. We can say that his act of offering is consistent with what he believed. Father Jean-Baptiste, canon of Beltram's church, attended him as he died and told uh, the Christian Family Magazine, it seems to me that only his faith can explain the madness of this sacrifice, which is today the admiration of all. He knew as Jesus told us. There's no greater love than giving one's life for one's friends. He knew that if this life began to belong, if his life began to belong to Marielle, listen to this, if his life began to belong to Marielle, his wife, it was also belonging to God, to his brothers in danger of death. I believe that only a Christian faith animated by charity could ask for this superhuman sacrifice, surpassing greatness of self-sacrificing love. It should quicken fellow Christians to prepare for such a day. I guess where I parked on that was most of us are no, never going to be asked to give that kind of a sacrifice, that kind of agape self-sacrifice. So how hard is it to stuff some of our selfishness and rise up and serve and sacrifice some hours or some money or whatever it might happen to be for the sake of the kingdom and the lost people that we say we love but have not entered into life eternal as yet? We should be moved because of what Jesus did for us, let alone Mr. Beltram, what he did on our behalf. He owns us. If we've accepted his gift, he owns. And I used to think of it this way. When I became a Christian, from that point on, I've been living on borrowed time. It's all a gift. Every new day, every new year is a gift because he's called me to serve him and you as well. Let's stand together as we close. Again, I'm simply going to say if you have never settled the issue of knowing him and if you've been uh, running from him, you're welcome to come start the journey afresh. Lord Jesus, here we sit in air conditioning while it is brutal outside only a small, small, small thing. The way you care for us and the way you uh, accommodate us in ways that may not even at times, just like the way you bless the children of Israel, wasn't always good for them because they spent it on their own pleasures. And Lord, we want to buy up the opportunities, the time that we have, and live for you while we have life. Thank you, King Jesus, that you gave yourself on our behalf to satisfy God's righteous holiness and bring us into a, not only a rescued position, 
but an agape love relationship as sons and daughters of the living God who's holy and doesn't change his mind. So we praise you and thank you for life eternal. If we've taken it for granted, I'm asking you to forgive God. Forgive your servants who take it for granted and think they've been rescued so they can spend their life all for themselves. Deliver us from this. Change us in the future. Help us as an assembly at Harmony Baptist. For your namesake, Lord, your name manifested in the world. By this shall all those people looking in figure out that they really are followers of Jesus because they love one another. Help us. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you.